I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview was an absolute delight. We, uh, we had a wonderful time, Marina Cordoni and Gail Harvey uh, and I chatting about their new film, Never Saw It Coming. One of the things right out of the gate that we found out really quickly is that apparently intelligent people do swear. So you're going to want to stay tuned and find out why uh, that's the case. We talked about activism uh, and equality uh, for women. And we talk, we talk about why this is a feminist drama and, and why it's not a traditional mystery. This is a Linwood Barclay novel that's been turned into a film. He wrote the screenplay for it uh, and Gail uh, directs and, 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 and Marina uh, produces. And we, we talked about um, pushing boundaries, uh, how, wh- why life isn't tidy and this, this sense of sort of almost quiet desperation that, that so many of us uh, live with. We talk about hard work and, and, and planning and why it's all about communication. And, and one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, sort of teasing out a little bit with, with Marina and Gail was this idea of how collaborative uh, the, the process is, how, how collaborative it is to, to make a film, to, to make a piece of art. We talk about commitment to women and justice and equality and, and how the Toronto International Film Festival is doing that in a very unique way uh, this year. And also something called the cement ceiling. How interesting is that? So you're going to want to stay tuned. Uh, coming right up, uh, Never Saw It Coming with Marina Cordoni and Gail Harvey. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and, and my speaking and also face-to-face-live.ca for uh, many other interviews uh, about a whole host of, I hope, of, of really interesting things with a whole lot of engaging people. And two of those are coming right uh, again right now, Marina Cordoni and Gail Harvey talking about their new film, Never Saw It Coming. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by two very special guests today. We have two filmmakers, uh, producers, directors, writers, uh, Canadian women here with us today to talk about their new film, Never Saw It Coming. Marina Cordoni and Gail Harvey are here with us to talk about the film and the industry and, and probably about the story too. Thank, thanks, uh, Marina, Gail, for, for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Thrilled to be. Such a pleasure, David. Thank you. 
so so let's let's just dive right in. Um, I love I love the title, and and I know it's uh, it's it's based on a, a mystery novel uh, by a pretty pretty uh, a recognized Canadian author, and I'm sure you guys are going to talk a little bit about that. But but what? Hmm, and I'm going to dive right in. What did what what? Linwood Barkley. Linwood Barkley. Thank you. What yeah. didn't either of you see coming during the production of this film? Um, I want to cast Eric Roberts in the film, and he was in Qatar doing a TV series. So he originally read the script, said he wanted to, to um, do the movie, and then it was very difficult to get him to come. Mm-hmm. But he finally came. He had four days off. So he flew from Qatar, shot the movie for two days in Sudbury, and flew back. <laughs> so flew, flew into, from Qatar to Sudbury and back to Qatar. That's right. Wow. And he had to work in Qatar. And he, and he did it because he loved the script. And also he and I are, are friends, so he, you know, he wanted to to be a good friend, I think. I and mean, he's such an incredible actor. So Marina and I were up many times in the middle of the night <laughs> calling producers in Qatar and, oh, my God, he's not going to come. They can't do it. And finally, it all worked out. It all I worked out. Yeah, I bet. The wonderful logistics of filmmaking, right? Well, yeah, and you guys chose, you, you, so you didn't go local. You weren't working in the GTA. You were, you were mostly shot in Sudbury, is that right? Yes, we did. We shot up north. We, um, you know, I think we're privileged in Ontario to have a lot of government support surrounding uh, film and television. And uh, the Northern Ontario Heritage Fund offers an opportunity um, to go up and help their economics um, in the in their part of the province. Um, so they provide us with some financing around the film, and uh, we go up there and we use their facilities and hire their crew and uh, shoot films so it's it's clearly it's clearly a mystery it's a thriller i i mean i i certainly uh, uh elements of hitchcock um you, you really don't know what's coming in the story you know just on the on the surface but what what about underneath that you know the opening and i love i so love the the establishing shot in the film with the the car in the ice and and just that that whole just Life is tenuous, right? I mean, it's you know. I know you start with a sort of those. I guess they're beautiful drone shots. I think, but but uh, yeah. the car on the ice is just such a wonderful way to 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 begin any kind of film. It seems to me. But could could you guys talk about what's sort of below the surface here? I mean, we've got this psychic. We've. I mean, can can we talk about the story? Are we going to spoil it for people? Um, there's a, there are a lot of spoilers, so I don't know how far we can go. I don't want to, we don't want to give it away. We definitely don't want to give it away. Because, <laughs> although that said, uh, you know, Linwood has a lot of fans, so, so several people have read the book, but I think it's one of his lesser known books. Oh, okay. Um, but, um, you know, there's so many twists and turns, and that's why the title is, is so appropriate for the movie. Um, you know, underneath the film, uh, Underneath the surface of the ice, I guess. Like I, I, I've often said, to me, this is like a feminist drama. Hmm. Because, because you know, with Emily Hampshire's character, Keisha, like it's, in, it's incredible how it turns around and what happens in the story. And I think there, there's a place that I, I won't... We can't talk about specifics, but I'm hoping women will stand up in the audience and applaud. So, <laughs> <laughs> so is, is it about... is And, and I think... Yeah, for me, at the end, you kind of, 
you're, you're kind of left with a lot of questions, that's for sure, not only from a, from a narrative perspective and where things are going to go. It's clearly there's a potential for, for I guess, a part two, I suppose. Part or, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did see it coming. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, I mean, isn't... Isn't that kind of the way it is? I mean, this is for me, you know, you know that metaphor and it's kind of overused, but the whole iceberg, right? You got a little bit above the water and what's really going mm-hmm. on, what's really happening, where life is really, uh, you know, where the rubber's meeting the road, it's all below the ice, right? And, and so it's the, yeah. it's the implications of it all. And it's the, there's just one surprise after another, it seems, in this film. And, and for me, that's, you know, my background is academically is in philosophy. So I, I love choice. I love this idea of, you know, uh, becoming who we are by the decisions we make in the, in the heat of the moment. And, uh, uh, this is, this is definitely one of the, for me anyway, one of the subtexts of, of never saw it coming for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I do right. think that's what the audience is going to get out of it, David, in, in that this isn't your usual fare. It's not your traditional mystery. Um, it's, it's a very artistic whodunit in a sense, but not that sort of, um, that, you know, tell your audience what they're about to see. And, you know, both with Linwood's writing and with Gail's uh, visionary directing, it's really been brought to life in this film. And, and I, I, I do think the audience will get something out of that. And I love the idea that they might walk away with questions. Mm. Um, well, there's yeah. just, and, and you know, it's so interesting. There's so many one-liners too that, that really stood out for me. And I, 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 I love that. And there, I think it's Kirk's character who's clearly um, wrapped up in a whole lot of things in a whole lot of different ways. Talk about subtext and, and different narratives. But there's a scene, I think, where he's talking to the, the police officer and, and, and he's like, the garbage bag, and he says, it's just garbage. And I <laughs> yeah. just, just kind of laughed out loud. And I went, you know what? It's, it's never really just garbage. <laughs> He has Kirk has the best lines in this film, and uh, what a great supporting actor Sean Benson um, is in this film. And I, I'm this isn't a spoiler because I want the audience to look out for it when he says, "You owe me five bucks." <laughs> oh, same. Yeah, that's my literally my favorite line in the film. Yeah, I know. Every every time I every time I heard it, I, and I'm, I don't know how many times I've seen this film with the editing and this that. Every time I hear that line, I laugh. And and the thing I think that's also, um, you know, I was hoping that it would be like this, but but it's a com. It's so funny, you know. Even though like mm-hmm. it was so many things, it's like a black comedy, and I'm going maybe it was a really sick sense of humor. I don't know. But, like, there are things in that movie that every time I see them, I laugh. And, and you know, probably shouldn't be laughing. Right. But we screened it in, in Whistler, remember, Marina? And, like, at first the audience was like, oh, oh, are we yeah. supposed to laugh? And then as it went on, people were laughing uproariously at things. You know, when they, it was almost like uh, if you have permission to laugh in this film. I think it's that discomfort. It's mm. Yeah. You know, like, the, the feeling of this is so not right that it's maybe right i don't know and so there's a level of discomfort it's almost when people you know tend to laugh at funerals because mm, they're feeling right. emotionally well <laughs> um and that's that's the case in this movie there are scenes where you're just like am i this is so outrageous i need to laugh at it um and uh and that's again a process that i think is enjoyable um, well, and I wonder too if if some of the appeal of this kind of a film, this kind of a story, uh, you know, is is how I hope it is anyway. Because I mean, isn't this what we really want to do? I think anyone who's 
I don't know, telling story or, or making film or writing poetry. I mean, don't you want people to, to stand back and say, you know, light, what does Diane Ackerman says, light shining in the darkness, you know, anyway, um, don't we put ourselves kind of into those positions and say, wow, would I have done that? So you've got this mystery, you've got this whodunit, but aren't we also at the same time going, you know, I don't think I would have made that choice or maybe I would have, you know, uh, when, when, yeah, when, it's like, if, sorry to interrupt. But no, go. Sure, it's like if, if someone's children are hungry, are they wrong to have stolen the loaf of bread? You know, it's right. like, that's the simplest way to state that. And I, I think I put that in one of my director's vision or one of the notes I had to write, you know? So um, it's interesting that, the Keisha character is very, I think the audience will really be rooting for her. Right. Even though, even though she's not making all the right choices necessarily. But, um, you know, I mean, she comes across as strong and smart and, you know, and she handles stuff. And I, I think that um, she's very, she's really sympathetic. And that was at the beginning, one of my worries that you would like, it, we cast Emily because she's such an incredible actor and for what she brings to the role. Um, and also, she's got the right amount of, you know, quirkiness that you could believe that this right. could be her life, yet she's, like, incredibly intelligent actor and just kind of the way she handled the whole part because it's very complex. Many of these parts are extremely complex because there are so many twists and turns and, and uh, decisions that are made and... Um, you know, where are we going to go now kind of situations. That Those parts aren't easy. So, we, you know, we were fortunate enough to get an amazing cast. I think everybody nailed it. I really do. Did you have any, did you guys have anybody else in mind, and I don't mean from a casting perspective, but from a storytelling perspective, in the back of your mind, uh, from, a, from a mystery sort of thriller, you know, noir crime thriller uh, approach, were there uh, uh, directors or writers that, that you were thinking of along the way? Well, I always kind of thought it was an interesting combo of like a Hitchcockian kind of film with, with elements of Tarantino. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, de- right? you know, I, def- I, I definitely went to Cronenberg with the knitting needle scene, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, Cronenberg. <laughs> I was just going to say, and, and David Cronenberg, uh, so any films that, films that are like that, that push the boundaries in some ways, yet remain grounded in reality. Right. Know, which I believe this film does. I mean, it's like we go, what the heck? But but you know, it's it's uh, the performances are all real, and I, I believe they're all very powerful because everybody everybody yeah. just got it, you know. And so sometimes you go, well, will everybody get it? I don't know, but they all got it, you know. Um, Nick Serino was amazing, and and Katie Boland, who's my daughter, is I think she does an incredible part as Eric Roberts' daughter. And um, I mean, and even Diane Dacula, who's in the opening scene going through the ice. I mean, she right. came up for one day. And uh, I mean, that's such a chilling scene. It, it really is. It, yeah. Yeah. It's chilling. And it's like, holy cow, what a way to start a movie. I mean, that's, that's Absolutely. what I thought. <laughs> and, and what a day of shooting. It was, I would oh. say, David, probably for me, I can't speak for Gail, um, but probably one of the most important days of my life. Hmm. Like, not just my working life, but there were so many situations that we had to look at because we actually put a car through the ice. This was not CGI'd. I mean, there were special effects uh, that came in afterwards, but we had an 80-foot crane wow. okay. um, on, a, on a, you know, basically a, what looked like a pond in northern Ontario, and uh, we did an overnight shoot. 
um, and it was freezing. Oh, like bet. it was minus 28, Gail. I can't remember exactly, but I remember it, it wasn't was so cold. cold. I thought it was going to be, though. I mean, I didn't feel as cold as I thought I was going to feel. So that was good. But, you know, we, yeah, had always, we had to measure the ice and, you know, all through the time. And we always, we're, we had to, sh- we shot that first because we didn't, we didn't want the ice to melt at all and had to be solid enough for people to work on it, but thin enough so they could cut the hole in it. So we could, so we shot on two sections of, of the ice, one where the car was on top of the ice. We did that part. And then we, then we had a part of the ice where they cut a big hole in. And then, you know, they had a big, what do you, what would you call that? Like a thing that came down like a boom, boom, boom. One of those things on a. Oh, uh, the, yeah, the construction. That, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. That, that hole the ball. The ice. Oh, like a wrecking ball? Smash ball. Yeah, the wrecking ball. That's it. The wrecking ball. That That's the title of. That's the title of somebody's autobiography. I'm not sure who it's going to be. And also, it's a yeah, yeah. It's a, a very strong image, right? Like what what I'd love to add to this is, you know, thinking about that kind of um, what I would describe an action scene. Mm. This is not a typical Canadian film, you know, style of production. I don't know many films that have taken that kind of filmmaking, you know, to that extent. And uh, you know, it was literally a twenty four hour job that we were doing out there and, um, you know, and, and Gail's perspective and vision of, you know, getting the drone shots to bring us into an artistic feeling and a sense of comfort right. and ease. And you're sitting back in your chair and then suddenly there we go. Right. Right. And yeah, so you're, to me, you're, you're tossed I, into it. Yeah. What I really loved and that's what, you know, with a director like, like Gail, um, you know, that, that vision um, immediately when you're talking to a director and that vision is coming off the page, um, it's, you, you know, I could already see it and it was extraordinary, just extraordinary. I love, I love what you said about one of the most important days in my life. And, 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 and Gail, I think you said, you talked about, um, and I forget who it was, one of the actors who, you know, just, it, this is about real life. And I think just to try to sort of bring this full circle and, and bear with me here, but I think one of, one of the last lines in the film, I think is, 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 um, um, uh, Keisha's character. She says to her son on, uh, you know, play me, play me something real right. on the piano. And for me, for me, this is a film, this is, this is a deeply uh, existential film. This is about, you know, for me, it's all about choice. It's about responsibility. It's about stepping into it. I mean, talk about being, you know, de Beauvoir talks about being thrown into the world, not of our own making and, 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 uh-huh. not, and not knowing what to do with that, right. Not knowing what to do with that freedom. And, and here we are in the middle of, of this big mess and yet it's very real and and, and, uh-huh. and and how do we react in these situations? That's what I, I mean, obviously uh, there's a whole lot of other things we could be talking about, but I think, you know, keeping it real, most important day of my life, you know, play me something uh-huh. real. It's just, it's just an interesting uh-huh. kind of uh, a thought. Yeah, and isn't, I mean, I think everybody's life have, has elements of that in it. And I mean, you just look at the world now with what's going on. And I mean, you could almost look at our film as a metaphor for, for what's yeah. going on in the world now in a, in a weird way, you know, and, Choices and how, how do you pull yourself up out of it and what do you do and you know yeah that maybe there is room for for movie two a sequel. Oh well, I you know and and <laughs> no, I, what, it is like it is like watching that life go on and what happens and then bang you know the ending off she goes um, and 
you know, you can. I think that the audience is going to draw their own conclusions about what will happen to her. Of course, of course. And I wanted it to be that way. You know, that scene was something that I asked to be added when we were shooting. You know, I went through the ending and I talked to Linwood and uh, he sent me a couple of scenes. Because I, I kind of wanted it to be open-ended, including that scene um, in the cop shop of Samaritan when she's looking at the, the, at the things in the plastic bag. What is it? Hmm, what is it? She calls, hmm, interesting. And then she goes, see... You know, it, 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 I think life is never, like, final. I think right. it does right. continue, and so I think that definitely ties in with your existential analysis. Well, very, I, very... I agree, and, I agree with you. And very and very open-ended, right? And, and one of the thoughts... Yeah. I, I, I thought a little bit of a... Um, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the Sam Raimi film, The Simple Plan, back in the late mm-hmm. late nineties, but just how that spiral downwards can come so quickly, how things can yeah. kind of get out of control in in a matter of seconds, right? And 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 sometimes we are the people who we are when when we know hmm, when we think about those decisions that we might make in situations that we may not even cross one day in our lives. I mean, that's what's so fascinating to me uh, about mm-hmm. these kinds of stories, these kinds of parables, really. Mm-hmm. And it goes to what Gail was saying about you know life is not tidy. Yeah, exactly. And when we make when we make films that are that tidy, we're you know we're creating uh, an obsession about you know our own lives not being correct. And when I watch a film like Never Saw It Coming, in fact, take it a step back when I read the book and then the screenplay and then you know working on the film. Um, it's it's that sense of desperation that everyone has, regardless of their mm-hmm. you know their position in life. It's like, well, what if there isn't enough money? What if we're in a right. small town? What if my boyfriend isn't the nicest guy? What if you know where are we going with this? And what happens? Well, in life, it's very complicated. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think you know if we keep true to form and we look at film like like the art that meets the commercial world, then this is surely a winner. And I've been, you know, sort of thinking in this conversation, I think we should make a trilogy, you know, <laughs> never thought coming, never thought coming, <laughs> you didn't see it coming. That's now right. you thought coming. Now we see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think it's what life is. I don't know. Do we have the energy? We need a little. What a, so? So so. I'm gonna put. Can I just put a title out there? What What else I didn't see coming? Could that be part two? <laughs> How many thing? things I can I on. not see coming? That's right. you know? This you know, is when, life. When everything builds up, yes, it's like life. Like you know, I mean, how many times have you been in your life going, "Oh no, not this too"? Like how can this happen too? You know. And so when, and I don't want to give away the the story, but I think you know you've seen it, so you know what I'm talking about. So. You know, when she's faced with the situation, what do I do now? And Emily said to me, and she just nailed the scene. And she said, I, I don't I don't know how to play this. What would I do? And I said to her, just roll up your sleeves. Mm. Just roll mm. up your sleeves and you get to work. And she said, that she said that direction saved me. And she just, you know, just did a great job. In that scene. It's so, so I great. I, lo- I, I love it. Love the met- love the metaphor of that as well. By the way, the, the opening se- scenes or the the establishing shots with the light snow. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And talk about you know just being uh, um, um, almost a shock of recognition from like you said, uh, I think Marina. But the, the this um, you know these beautiful slow mo shots. You know this artistic piece that's drawing us in, and then and then we're just yeah. Um, 
the yeah, ice, the, the ice is the ice is gonna, yeah the ice is going to break. Yeah. yeah. Yep. The first, yep. The first clue. I, 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 this is that was all very planned. Mm-hmm. I I kind of layered. The first clue that this is not what you think is uh, when they're running into the you know when the, the parents go in with Keisha and they're going in and there's a sideways shot as they're running down the hall. Right. Yes. That's the first clue to the audience that this movie's not what you think it's going to be. So, you know, I don't know if it worked or not, but that, that was in my mind anyway. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and we're, and we're back to the real life discussion, right? How, how yeah. it seems to me yeah. anyway, it's, I'd, I'd love to, a question I've had, I've, I've thought of in the last couple of days is how, and, and I'm always fascinated, especially when it's a film that's, that's adapted from, from a book, how, how much, how much of the author, how much of the director, how much of the, well, the screenwriter was the author, but I mean, such a collaborative process, and I think it's one of the reasons why I love films so much. Um, there's so many. Yeah, well, that's why. Yeah, that's why I thought being a photographer when I started making films. I thought, wow, this is like every everything. It's every art form, music, visual. I mean, mm. I was always such a strong camera degree in psychology. I love people. I love actors. I love, and this just brings it all together. And Linwood and I are very old friends. We, we were journalists together, actually, at the Toronto Star. And then we reconnected because we both have places in Prince Edward County. Okay. And we were at dinner, we were at dinner one night, and he said to me, "How do you get a movie made? Like uh, many of my books have been like bidding wars for right. big Hollywood studios, but nothing had ever been made." Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I said, "Do you have a little book? Like some little book that maybe <laughs> I could do up here?" So he sent me Never Say. He said, "I do actually," and he sent me Never Saw It Coming. So I read it and liked it. And then Marina and I have been um, trying to work together for ages. We have known each other also for a very long time. And and uh, worked together, but but um, uh, Marina worked for was in the most amazing person for years in distribution and helping and being a filmmaker's champion and everything. So you know, we this is the first thing that we've done together with Marina producing with me. So right. it was great. So I sent her the book, and then we talked about it. And then um, Linwood is a genius writer and a wonderful person, and he wanted he. I said, do you want to write the screenplay? So he did. And so, you know, went back and forth. I read what he did. And he literally wrote, wrote the screenplay in 10 days. Wow. Because I, for a book, he knew, he knew the story so well. I know structure and, you know, filmmaking so well that, um, you know, it was about what do you take away more than anything else and making sure it was all balanced. And, and I, had, I had a couple of ideas for it. And he said, you know, he, what he said to me after it made me feel really good. He said, I, I wish those ideas were in the book. Mm, ah, nice. So that was nice. So it, it was truly a very collaborative situation. How many of how many of those decisions on set when you've got twenty four hours and a wrecking ball overhead and it's really cold out, where you just go, you know what, just roll up your sleeves. For to me, for my well, to either of you, really in truth, I mean, yeah, I think that's well, just yeah. we're talking. We're talking about the craft now, right? We're talking about your experience yeah. and the knowledge you bring to bear, and what's on the page and what's in the moment. Yeah, that's a really deeply. Have... Sorry, go ahead, Gail. I was going to say, you know, I I feel very confident when I'm on set. I have been on set for for years and years and years. I watched amazing directors work. I had amazing directors as mentors, mm. Arthur Penn, Wim Wenders, Dan Petrie, Philip Borsos. You know, people were very kind to me, and I, and I learned a lot. I try to give that back now um, in our community. But um, you just have to be – I just feel like I always roll up my sleeves, you know. Like right. I read the story. I know the story inside out emotionally, uh, artistically, how I want to shoot it, 
a lot of planning is done. And then, you know, when you're on set, um, it's exciting, but it's like put one foot in front of the other. Right, that's right. Kind of what it always is like, you know? Yeah, and I, I would add to that exactly, you know, what you said, Gail, about the planning on, on the production side. It can, be, it, it can be deeply challenging because you need to meet art and commerce. Mm. And yeah. we're, not, we're not Hollywood in Toronto in the sense that we don't operate on a privatized economic system. We um, are government-funded, and we have distribution advances. So there is a bit of private equity, but it's business-to-business, right? mostly. And right. Uh, so we don't have as much as we would always want. Right. So we, we have to almost work a little bit harder and plan hmm. more. And Gail's, Gail's incredibly talented at planning and very experienced. I, you know, as her producing partner, did not have any qualms or any um, fears um, about that day because we had planned it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And we had done it according to, you know, the, the vision. We didn't have to take anything out. And, and that's the thing about an experienced director is also a grown-up, you know, not kicking around on set going, but I want this. <laughs> I want it this way. And, but I'm, you know, I'm also, I, yeah. Yeah, that's the wank. I'm very <laughs> I mean, you have to be when you work in Canada. I mean, our budgets are what? Like, I don't know what this would have been in the States. We probably had one-tenth of the money that would be a low-budget film in the States right. here. So, you know, we shot it in very quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, I don't know, it just it just went very well. And it just, you just really have to have everything written down. I, I, I was so planned that I actually went to all the locations with the DP locations guy and and um, first AD, and actually shot many of the scenes on my iPhone. Oh, is that right? Hey, wow. Yeah, just so that, I, I mean, iPhone is, is irreplaceable now, so I did that just so that on the day, you could, you know, it's all about communication. So, okay, this is what we're shooting. Yeah, and it was actually quite funny because we had um, our locations manager was playing Eric McCormick's part. And, you know, or, or, or sometimes he was Emily Hampton or something. <laughs> just to figure out where everybody was going to stand. That way the DP knows what the lighting's got to be, and again, in a collaborative way, you know, I always work in a collaborative way, so we know we have a certain amount of time, I timeline everything, so timelined everything with the first JD, so I always know in my mind how much time I have free scene, you know, and there's no, you can't, you just don't do, I, I never it's, do overtime. It's so interesting I to hear you. It's almost like you're 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 talking like a project manager, right? It's like you've got a yeah. Gantt charge. Like you're so you're so organized about the shot, the shooting, and how yeah. the, the the like you said, Marina, the commerce versus the art, you know, and where do the two meet? Mm. Now that, yeah, that is, you know, I, I shot list everything, and I rarely take it out of my pocket. You, you have to directing is an interesting combo of being very organized, but thinking on your feet and just looking at the situation and reading the room and figuring out right. you know the best way at in that moment. And I often say directing like sculpting emotions. You know, that's kind of what it is. You know, you just kind of, you know, it's a pe- it's a people skill, Josh. Right. <laughs> I think I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. You're a relation. You're a relationship manager behind the camera, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So, so tell, 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 so I, I want to, I want to sort of focus. If, whoa, did you guys hear that? I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm here where I'm sitting in my Are office you? today. No, I didn't, yeah. know. Oh. I didn't hear it at all. Oh, good, good. Well, if we lose power, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get you back live and, and hopefully a matter of minutes, but I uh, just wanted to give you that heads up. And it's terribly exciting though. Like we didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We got to get at least one more reference like that in before the interview ends. <laughs> What is that, you know, the horrible marketing world where it's like you got to repeat the, <laughs> the brand name at 65 times in two minutes? That's or, right. You yes. know, that kind of thing. I'm joking, of course. Yes, no, totally. Yeah. So I think it was, Gail, I think you had mentioned about a scene, a particular, one particular scene, but I think it's a theme throughout the film for sure, but a particular scene where, where Keisha's character uh, does something and, and the audience, you, you're hoping that the audience and maybe particularly the women in the audience are going to, you know, stand up and cheer or applaud or... Yay, thank God. Right, (laughs) right. So... So can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and just in the, the, and I hope you don't mind, but going, you know, the Me Too movement, we're in the middle of it, this, I mean, this is a, this is a, a story uh, about gender disparity, it seems to me as well. And I mean, can we, yeah, yeah I mean, could you talk a little bit about that in, in relation to, I don't know, maybe the Canadian filmmaking business, uh, what it's been like, uh, you okay, know. I can speak from my, my yeah. I think, you know, I've been, very fortunate because I look back and I really don't know how I got my first job because there were no women really getting hired on TV shows. It was rare. And even to this day, uh, you know, because when you work in Canada, you make your money doing TV and then you do your movies. You know? Right. So, so um, I, you know, it's, it's similar now. Sometimes I'm, I'm still the only woman. Now the networks are getting behind us, which is, has been fantastic. That's been a change over the last four or five years where CBC said that they, they have to hire 50% women. And what I always say is if they hire the hundred percent women for the next hundred years, it might be even. (laughs) (laughs) Have you done the calculation on that? No, but I, for sure. I mean, it's true. Like it wasn't even talked about, you know? Right. So, so, but I have to say, I've I've been very fortunate. I, I have a wonderful life and I have the opportunity to work with amazing people um, and, you know, people like Marina, who's like, I would say you're probably, I don't know, more, I don't know if you're, yeah, you're more vocal than I am in the Me Too movement. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not that it's gone, you know, still saying kind of bullshit happens, but this movie, I think it's like right in your face, like with her relationship. And I, you know, a lot of people have been in relationships like mm-hmm. that. I mean, that's extreme, obviously. That, that's extreme. And, and, um, um, but I mean, I think the scene, there's a scene in the hallway where she says, you're the man mm. where I felt as soon as she did that scene, I thought, okay, that justifies what's coming up. I couldn't, what's the, the follow-up line is I couldn't manage without you, I think. Yeah. 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 So it's, it. I mean, that kind of, um, degradation, I think is, you know, what happened in that relationship. And how smug he is, kind of after she says it. I I felt that was representative of, you know, probably stuff that we've all dealt with in various ways. You know. Now that is, yeah. I'll say it again, that is very extreme. But, but well, and I love, I, I love. I thought it was important, you know. And she's a strong character. I love that. The, right. The, you know, she's a strong female character, incredibly strong, and Emily nailed it. So. 
you know. Well, her line her line was so telling too. I think it was a little later on. It might even have been the same scene. Maybe it was a little later on in the film near the end, but yeah. the whole this where she says I don't I don't know how I ever let you into my life. You're the one who conned me. And I thought that was really right. telling for so many different reasons, you know, and how yeah. many, and how many of us have kind of been in a situation like that. And again, you know, you talked about Gail about just, you know, stepping into it and stepping forward. We don't really have a sense for the decisions and choices we've made until we look back, and then it starts to hopefully make some sense, right? And, and uh, they're I, usually your, your subconscious right. reasons people pick things, right, that you need to become more aware of, and maybe as you get older you can try and figure all that out. Not easy. Ah, right. really isn't easy. Not at all. Well, we choose, I think we choose, you know, what we want at the time, and then we discover it's not what we want or there's challenges and how are we going to get out now? So there's this feeling, and I think this goes across the board, relationships, jobs, friendships, you know, where there's a sense of feeling trapped and, uh, and helpless and right. hopeless. And, mm-hmm. you know, that character speaks to that as well. Well, it, you know, doesn't Keisha at one point um, when they're in the middle of, a, I think it's uh, her and Kirk and she says, I, I, give, I give people hope. And I kind yeah. of, and I kind of thought, yes. and, and yeah. you know, and I and I and I think, I mean, I think that's what great great thing about filmmaking and storytelling, and and again, just about creating art. I mean, isn't that what great relationships are about? You know, this idea of 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 hope. You know, the what what is next, and we don't really see what's coming, right? But we mm-hmm. gotta. I hope we gotta have hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I- like you never know. You're right. Existential questions of life. Like you know, it's all those big questions. What is death? Why are we here? Where do we come from? I'm not comparing our film to that, but I mean, you really don't know, and you really don't know anything. And life turns on a dime, and and the only constant in life is change. Right. So I always told always told my children that. You know. So 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 cliche. So cliche on a certain level, and yet so true and so important to, to realize every day. How do you guys feel about about TIFF and where they're heading with Share Her Journey and this five year commitment to to you know fighting for gender equity and and, and I think they're even saying justice for for women. Um, it's sort of yeah. along the same same lines of your hundred percent women for a hundred years. <laughs> things might be even. Well, my daughter did a film and she was involved in the first one last year. Her her short film called Lolita, Katie Poland, who's also an actor, she directed, wrote, and starred in that film, and that was part of that show, The Journey. So I'm really thrilled that that, that mm. happened mm. and that that's happening. Marina, what do you uh, think? Well, I, I fully support yeah. any organization that steps out of this darkness that we have been going through right now, you know, since the Me Too movement, in that, you know, I feel that it's been a, a lot of a denial because right. this right. has existed forever in a day, but there's been a trigger, as we know, with the with the Me Too movement. And, you know, for, for TIFF, what I love about TIFF this year in particular is their commitment to female directors, their commitment to equality and to justice. Mm-hmm. Their share the, you know, her journey is an amazing, you know, opportunity to bring newer uh, female directors into the light. But what I love the most is that in, in comparison to the Venice Film Festival this year, um, who has come out publicly and said it is not their um, responsibility uh, with respect to quality, and that is their reason behind not you know, um, bringing in female directors 
which in a way is saying, you know, the, 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 you know, the producing side of it or the vision of the director is not strong, as strong as the male submissions that they've gotten. Well, they're saying you suck. Really? Well, yeah, basically what I'm seeing though, is that I said in my social media, I basically said, hang on a minute. But Venice and Tiffer at the same time. Right. So therefore, it's the same projects being submitted. And mm. TIFF is, has way more female-directed films in this year's festival. And Venice is saying there weren't enough of hmm. quality. So I, I just look at, at that and I applaud TIFF. I think there's a long way to go um, mm. yep. with all of it. And I feel very lucky to be in Canada right now where our federal and provincial funding um, makes it law. You know, there has to be gender mm-hmm. parity. Mm-hmm. And that is the only way we can get out of the injustice um, and the backlash. And do you think, and, you know, sadly, we're going to have to wrap up the conversation in a couple of minutes here, but um, do you, I mean, clearly, you know, it sounds like things are changing. It sounds, of course, sounds like things are getting better. And, um, uh, you you know, are you guys giving people hope when, when, when you're thinking about these things and having these conversations? Is, is, mm-hmm. is there reason to think that we're getting to that place a hundred years from now, Gail? Well, I, you know, I can only hope, but I will also say that I can't really fund a large budget movie with my career, even though I've been working for so long. And I would say that, you know, most of my films have been successful. I'm an extremely successful television director, but, you know, I can only go to a certain height. Right. Marina, that brings it, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, I think you're absolutely right, Gail. And I think that that's a really important issue. Um, and one that I look at on a day-to-day basis as a producer, um, as a woman in the film industry with credentials, with success, with accomplishments. I call it the cement ceiling. Mm. This, yeah. isn't, this isn't a glass ceiling, it's cement. Hmm. So uh, a, a director like Gail, what we're hearing is, okay, well, you know, we'll fund at the lower budget, but right. what about the 10 and $20 million film mm-hmm. budget level? You know, so I think it's, for me, it's, it's beyond, the Me Too movement has taken my personal feeling beyond just the sexual harassment, which is huge in itself. But now it's about economics, too. I'm starting to see, hang on a minute, I don't have as many resources. I'm working. So is it smoke and mirrors, right? Are you trying to say to me, oh, but you're working, but I don't have enough. And that's where it's at, for me at least, in terms of looking at the next level. And to answer your question, David, about providing hope, I sure hope so. I talk to a lot of women who are emerging producers, emerging directors, emerging writers, and um, I, I talk very positively to them about what this industry um, is about. And that's all we can do, and we keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, one last question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> you got you to love a film that uses a rough trade in, in the soundtrack. Oh yeah! Right? All touch, no oh. contact. I couldn't when, believe it, and it was like it was like this blast from the past. It was just, and it was just such a, I don't know, iconic kind of moment for me. As soon as I heard uh, her voice, 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, well, I, well, I love Carol, and uh, and Mar- I love Mary Margaret O'Hara. My body's troubled. One of my favorite songs, and the other song is by my son, Michael Boland, who's um, heading huge strides up and coming hip hop artist. So I thought it was an interesting combo mm, of nice. kind of a bit of a throwback, but also mo- like modern. It, right. I have a modern feel of the film, and I think that those songs do have a modern feel. Even though they are throwbacks, that's a different recording that Carol did on her own. That's not your, not the rough trade one. Right. And um, you know, I just thought that it was perfect for the film. I thought it, I thought it was perfect, and I think you know, I hope that you know many young people will get to see who those women are because they were iconic for me, both of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. I th- and I love I love what you said. I mean, it isn't a prophetic art- artistic voice. I mean, a voice kind of ahead of their time, right? So relevant still yeah. today, right? I think so. Yeah. I really and just so cool. Right? <laughs> That's <laughs> right. They're just so cool. Yes. I remember a lot of leather for Carol Pope. Is <laughs> it? Yeah. yeah, she's still wearing leather. I just saw her perform. She's performed um, at the duke actually a few months ago oh that's so great what 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 a blast i've had chatting with you guys uh, today i I so appreciate your time maybe i mean if we don't do if you don't do a a part two to never saw it coming maybe we can do a part two (laughs) to the interview down the road oh that would be great david it's been truly a pleasure what great questions thank you we've been we've been talking so much fun david thanks to to you both we've been talking to marina cordoni and gail harvey today about their new film uh never saw it coming can you tell us, uh, we're, we're going to be uh, publishing this soon. When, when is it uh, playing in the near future? So it opens, uh, it opens in Toronto at Cinepl- Cineplex Young and Dundas Square, August 17th. Check your listings, and then we'll move it on from there. It'll be a bit of a, uh, a theatrical tour. Fantastic. Well, listen, congratulations to, again on the film, and, and thank you so much for, for a wonderful conversation today. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.